Welcome to an episode of Weekly Weights. We lift weights and we are mates. On the weekend, we go on dates. Weekly Weights, Jim and Footy. Weekly Weights with Alex and Will. Welcome to episode 31 of Weekly Weights. Today we're going to do another Q&A. 2 and A. Q&A 2, 2 and A. What do you think of that? <laughs> That's what I was going to tell you off air. You remember when I said, I'll tell you later? I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you saved it for the listeners. Oh, mate. That's one of my best. So, anyway, <laughs> I put up a post on uh, Instagram last week and then again yesterday with some asking for questions from the listeners and from the follow from our followers. So, we're just going to go through all the good ones. Well, most of them, really. Yeah, and we'll just... I reckon we chip through a few of the more serious ones and then like we can space it out with some of the less serious ones. The most not serious ones, I'm sorry, we've chosen not to answer in public. But yeah, we'll chip through serious first. And then we'll do all the like quick fire ones at the end. Yeah, any leftovers, we'll just, we'll do like a speed round. And maybe because I think Chrissy intends to come, we're sitting in Alex's bedroom right now. Chrissy was saying she wants to have a nap between us, which is cute. Um, so maybe at the end, we'll get her involved for the quick fire as well. What do you reckon? Sure. We'll spring that on her. She's not here yet. <laughs> um, she was quite nervous about being on the podcast we last recorded. Well, eh? She did well. Yeah, she did do well. Okay, so question number one. This came from Jackson Miles. Um, what's Jackson on Instagram? JLM underscore training, I believe. Oh, is that him? Yeah. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, he says, can you coach someone to have ticker or are you born with it? Um, he asked it in longer form than that. And then he also asked who has more ticker, me or Alex? Me. Um, that is just factually, <laughs> factually so incorrect. You're a coward. Um, can you coach someone to have Tika or are you born with it? What do you think? I don't think you can coach it. I think it's one of those things that is just there or it isn't. I, that was my initial thought. And I also think the idea of like, I'm air quoting mental training, like Rocky style, Coach Carter, you know, do a thousand laps of the basketball court to get tough and learn who you are. That stuff's bullshit. But I do think that like the people who have, People who have ticker, um, air quotes again, are in some way, like they've developed that somehow through experience. So I guess in some way you learn it. Like when you think of the people who like to train really hard, and this is like we spoke about with Matt Bartholomew and with Amir, they're often people who have a sporting background um, and who are used to actually just working hard towards a goal and like, you know, grinding at something and actually pushing themselves frequently. And whether like sports selects for people who are like that, or whether you learn that by doing sport, I don't know. But I think that is something that definitely comes with experience. I just don't know how I would teach it per se. But I think there are people in all sports. And I mean, I've certainly noticed this when I played rugby and basketball. There are people you play with who just don't have any heart. Like they really, and they're still playing and they might be good at the sport or not. But like that is one of those things that you literally just, you can't tell someone how to try hard and how to, love what they're doing and have be passionate and all that kind of stuff yeah i still think i'm not saying i can teach someone to have heart because i'm like you're not, saying it can be learned i'm saying yeah it can but definitely be a, learned but there is that is, like a personal learning yeah like it's there's not like some you're teaching someone it's like they learn it on their own yeah that's that's more it and i'm sure there's like there's people who have some type of like developmental psychology background who could tell you like you know how you learn resilience and problem solving skills and stuff should get my mum on she would know yeah my mum too um shout out mum 
terrific at nagging. Up the mum. Yeah, if you want to learn resilience to nagging, have a chat to Artie Berkman for just five minutes. She'll nag you. Um, That's why you got to move out, dude. Uh, yeah, eventually. Um, okay. I just can't leave Digby. That's my issue. All right. So question number two is from Maddie Harp, who on Instagram is also Maddie Harp. I think so. Yeah, I think she's literally just Maddie Harp on Insta. All right. Anyway, she says... She didn't really phrase this as a question, but she says comp frequency. I've noticed a lot of lifters competing upwards of three times a year. Personally, I find two times plenty gives me enough time to work on the weaknesses that I've identified during my prep. And I think it helps me stay relatively injury free. And then she asks our perspective. Um, I guess adding your perspective question mark at the end of like just a series of statements kind of makes it a question, doesn't it? It's like saying thoughts. Mm. it's a really lazy cardio way of thoughts? asking a question yeah cardio thoughts i don't know terrible yeah <laughs> uh, like thoughts i don't know yeah um yeah we spoke about this a fair bit um on episode 29 on long-term development where we spoke about having comps that might be a priority or comps that might you know you might be focusing on one particular lift or whatever so i think if you're um querying that go back and listen to that episode and we go into that into greater depth. But I think for a general person, I think three is actually quite a good number um, depending on how you space them out. And I think, I guess that's one thing is spacing them out and I guess having like a priority. I think um, from a purely developmental standpoint, you either need to have long enough times between comps to let you train to get better and work on like just general qualities like building some size, improving your body composition, improving technique stuff like that and also enough time to rest so from a developmental standpoint you need to think how much rest do i need or how long do i need between comps and yeah three times a year maybe up to four is probably it's probably smart in that respect for most people until they're quite advanced but i also think um just from like a having fun standpoint there are probably some people who like to get on the platform maybe more regularly or have like an on season and stuff and if that's the case then again, thinking about which comps you're going to prioritize, when you're going to peak, and which comps you're going to go for like hard attempts versus just competing for the enjoyment of being on the platform and stuff is important too. But yeah, in general, I don't know, maybe like competing every few months gives you adequate time to have like a short period of rest and, you know, deloading, I guess, after a comp and recover a bit, and then short period of doing some hypertrophy stuff, some strength, and a peak. So if you're an intermediate lifter, then every few months is probably okay. I tend to tell people if they want to do a relatively rapid turnaround between comps, 10 weeks is pushing it, that's short, 14 is good, and then longer than that, I'm like, okay, that's a luxury, and that's great. Um, so that yeah. sort of timing lends itself to three to four. Yeah, and like if you do if you do three comps on like a 12 to 14 week turnaround, and then you have you know one long off season of like 10 weeks where you're not training for a comp at all, then that's, that's suddenly pretty much a year, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I think for beginner lifters, it's also important to actually get on the platform quite often because you're going to learn how to compete and you're going to learn you're going to learn the rules better and how you respond to certain things on the platform. And that platform experience is really really valuable when you're learning and when you're a beginner. And then as you get better, I think you can sort of compete less frequently and you won't lose those experience quality qualities and stuff like that. Yeah, and on top of the experience thing, it's also just like it's kind of a carrot to keep you training when you know you're competing soon. And I think until you've you're like comfortable enough in just going through the process of training without having like a near term goal, it's probably nice to again have that have that relatively frequently. And when you are, I guess, an advanced lifter and you are actually better, it becomes so much harder to progress. So you're gonna need more time to actually see 
result on the platform. So you might want to take an extra amount of time. You might only want to do two comps a year. Yeah. So I guess now that we've said all of that, we can conclude that however often you want, two to four, maybe more. Two to four, maybe more. Yeah, there you go. Weekly way, it's poets. Don't even realize. Um, Okay. Shout Uh, out Maddie Harp. Yeah, shout out Maddie Harp. She was good fun at Nationals. Great fun. Um, Okay, another question. Do you want to introduce a question or am I in charge of reading? I'll do this one. So this one is from my client Mags. Shout out to Mags. What a lady. She says, how important is it to have a bunch of volunteers for meets? Who should volunteer? How can you approach a meet director offering to help? And as a lifter, what can I do to contribute more to the sport? So I'm going to answer the last question first. So Mags, personally, you as a lifter, you can't possibly do any more to contribute to the sport because you are tech desking refing at pretty much every comp in Sydney. Also baking baked goods and writing down the macros of each serving for everybody else who volunteers with you, which is like neck level commitment. Yeah, since yeah, that's crazy. Since I've started coaching you, Mags, running comps has been so much easier because you've been so helpful. So I thank thank you. I appreciate it. Um, how important is it to have a bunch of volunteers? Very, very important because a lot of the time people will be away, a lot of the time they will be actually lifting, so they can't help. So you need to have a lot of people if you plan on running comps. You probably need 20 people who can spot and load. You probably need 8 or 10 who can do the tech desk. You probably need 5 people who can MC, And you probably need to know 20 referees. And just as an aside as well, like having too many volunteers isn't a problem. It's not like you're wasting anyone's time because it just makes the whole job easier for other people. But it also means that people who are experienced, so like DK, for instance, who is um, running the platform at Nationals, People like that, when you actually volunteer with them, you just get better at doing the jobs. And so you're actually lending your experience back to other people. Um, so how is how important is it to have a bunch of volunteers? Makes running everything a million times easier and many hands make light work. Um, but also just consider that the more volunteers you have and the more experience you have, the more useful, the less experienced volunteers are going to be because they actually get directed what to do. And it really, like it's a team effort, but it also raises the quality of the work that you do for each other. And the last question that we haven't answered yet is how can you approach a meet director offering your help? Um, literally just email or they would probably have their phone number on the event page. So send them a text or send them an email, tell them that you're interested and no one's going to say no to someone volunteering. Just as an aside, because I think this is like um, an interesting discussion. So I was telling you how our friend Joe Stanek, shout out Joe, um, yeah, Alex was going to say shout out Joe, but he's just giving me the nod of the head. Shout so. out Joe. Shout out Joe. Um, <laughs> Joe is a meet director in the States. He's also a coach with TSA. Um, and he, in the States, the meet directors set their entry fees. And he said he was able to actually make money by hosting a meet, but it also meant that he could feed all his volunteers um, and buy new equipment, comp to comp, and look after everybody who showed up well and offer prizes and things. Alex, you're a meet director in Powerlifting Australia. Do you think it would be to your benefit to be able to charge, um, yeah, charge the meet entry fees yourself and put that money to the use that you thought was best for it? And do you think that would help you run better meets? Um, I think having a budget would definitely help because we'd be able to upgrade like signage and we'd be able to feed all the volunteers, like you said, and um, pay for maybe even pay spotters and loaders and stuff like that and pay the, pay the volunteers for their time. But I think the way that it works now is actually pretty good in PA. Like if you have enough people who you know, people are always willing to help out. And lifters themselves generally understand and appreciate that 
this sport is run on volunteer work, so they're usually willing to put their hand up. And if you're someone out there who does compete and you don't help out, please start doing it because it makes everyone's life easier and it will make more competitions, more people to compete. And the sport will only continue to grow because of that. All right. Um, maybe one more question, then a silly one, and then a break or something. Huh? Cool. Um, all right. So the question, this was submitted by Luke McCarroll. Luke Carroll. I, he doesn't listen to Weekly Weights. He only listens to Weekly Weights to make fun of me. And, um, Shout out, Luke. Yeah. And Mickey Sewell, who on Instagram is also Mickey Sewell. Um, <laughs> give Mickey a shout out. Shout um, out, Mickey. Thank you. Okay. So... They ask, what are the advantages of a deload post-competition as opposed to just taking some time off? Alex. Comparing the two or what? I mean, well, per the way the question is phrased, it's comparing the two, I guess. Well, like presuming like go straight back to lifting, lifting light as opposed to just not lifting weights for a few weeks. Taking time off and doing a deload are pretty much the same thing, just on a different scale because a deload is a reduction in training volume and intensity. So I guess taking time off is just an extended reduction in training volume and intensity. So I guess they're kind of the same thing. Okay, here's here's what I think. Um, I say it as I'm thinking it. So yeah, a deload is a strategic reduction in training stress. What's funny is when you get to a competition, you should, strictly speaking, be relatively fresh because yeah, you should have already deloaded yeah you're like you taper into a competition or most people taper into a competition i should say and so there should be some reduction in fatigue but just because there's a reduction in i guess systemic fatigue leading into the competition doesn't mean that all like your overuse niggly injuries that you might have leading into comp have washed away you've still been under a lot of stress with your heavy training and so you're probably still carrying a bit of connective tissue um, connective tissue damage or at least stress that would benefit from some time off and some reduction in intensity. So that's number one. Um, number two, competing itself can be quite stressful. So, you know, it's like quite stressful physically. Some people feel great the day after they compete, but pl- most people feel like trash. So again, you probably want a reduction in stress there. And then the third thing to remember is um, there's this idea of like acute to, qu- um, acute to chronic workload ratios. And if you have actually just tapered into a competition, so you've been reducing, you've been reducing your workload, particularly in that last week, had a big reduction in volume load um, that you're lifting. If you go from that right back into very high volume without any introductory work, then it increases your risk of injury in the subsequent training period. And so you want like a graded reintroduction to training. So from that perspective, having a deload is probably a good idea because it gets you back doing very moderate volumes very easily gives you some time to recover from that stress and it also works as a great introduction and then the other practical consideration is because most people don't do a very rapid turnaround from meat to meat like you know five six weeks because of that you actually have the time on your side to do a deload and start really light so it's i think it's thinking of giving yourself the rest and then why is that better from taking time away from lifting entirely um in a lot of ways i don't necessarily think it's better It's just most people after a comp actually do want to get back to training. If you were ever going to plan to have some time away for a couple of weeks, probably immediately after a comp's not a bad idea. And I know I've read articles from, um, from like the sort of super heavyweight equipped, um, equipped powerlifters who are like, you know, West side trainers and stuff who would talk about deliberately taking two weeks off lifting weights straight after a competition, probably because the magnitude of stress they've been under and maybe to do with special supplements and stuff as well. Um, have really really buried them in preparation but like but yeah just for your average joe like usually 
you'll want to get back into training you'll just want to do it slowly most people actually like to exercise a little bit so doing something like a deload or at least just kind of training for fun a little bit before you ramp it back up is smart but fully resting sorry one last thought because i've been rambling quite a bit um is that easy training (laughs) alex is smirking easy training is often better for reducing fatigue um than very very hard train oh sorry not very very hard easy training is better for reducing fatigue than very hard training easy training is also better at reducing fatigue um than doing no training at all at least to a degree because you maintain some of the qualities that you've developed so were you to not train at all for two or three weeks you'd probably go backwards how much would you go backwards not a huge amount but a little bit whereas if you were to train yeah quite easy you'd maintain those qualities and be set up ready to go and you wouldn't have to do as much reintroductory work when you did come back from your time off so there you go luke that's a nice long answer for you and i've noticed when i've competed and taken an entire week off training that next week the second week after the comp is always much harder than if i'd done two or three light sessions the prior week yeah 100 percent. i often i think getting under the bar doing something light doesn't have to be the power lifts just doing something getting the body moving get getting some blood in there actually helps you recover more than sitting on your ass doing nothing 100 percent. i often advise people um sometimes i've said literally you're banned from using a barbell for the first two three sessions just just for fun but sometimes yeah i'll tell people to do something like a dumbbell split squat because that reduces axial loading or to like do push-ups instead of bench presses just so you're getting you're getting the muscles moving like you said you dust off the cobwebs a bit and there's some evidence that the repeated bout effect which is like your your resistance to muscle damage and disruption and soreness there is evidence that there's some crossover from exercise to exercise provided you train the same muscle group so if you just get people in um, doing some general movements with with the stuff that gets worked in the power lifts but with less stressful versions that's probably going to set them up better to train harder later um let's do a silly question then we'll have a quick break yeah okay that's a good one do you want to intro it okay so the who submitted this one uh this was matt cherry i think matt cherry god he does some shit talking i've actually got another funny one from him um he says who's got better hair matt bartholomew or nick Cheadle? On the count of three, let's just say our answer. I actually need to think of my answer. No, this is an easy one. All right. One, two, three. Matt. Oh. <laughs> it's definitely Matt because Nick Nick wears a hat all the time. Yeah, so but that's because... you can't even see his hair. Another shout out, Luke McCarroll. That's because Nick has a head for hats. It's got to do with like where your jawline sits. So it's not like about having a prominent jaw. It's about like having your jawline end back on your head. Um, to listeners of Weekly Weights, I'm now very into fashion. I know a lot about fashion. So Nick's just got a good head for hats. That doesn't mean he has bad hair. He's he not high. Bad, he doesn't have bad hair. He's got hair, peaceful hair. It's better than Matt's. Shout out, Matt. Your he, hair's still nice. He doesn't have bad hair, but it isn't as good as Matt's. Matt? And if his hair was better, he would show it off more. Matt has nice hair, but he uses a lot of product in it. Right? That's part of what makes it nice, isn't it? It's ve- it's very styled. It's Lego Man, but like more stylish than Lego Man because it's not like you know it's shapely, but it's definitely Cheadle's got better hair. Disagree. Okay, well, also shout out Matt Bartholomew. Please get one more button up shirt because you only have one. You know the one I'm talking about. It's the midnight blue short sleeve one with the speckles on it. He's <laughs> he's worn the same thing every time I've ever seen him dressed up. <laughs> Whereas Cheadle's got his Cheadle's got his really tapered track pants and 
you know, t-shirts that go have, all the way past have holes in them. <laughs> yeah, well, you'd have holes in your t-shirt too if you were that big. Chrissy's losing her mind in the background. Okay, Chrissy, official vote. Who has better hair, Matt or Nick? Cheadle. There you go. Cop that, Matt Bartholomew. <laughs> all right, let's have a break. <laughs> Welcome back to the 2 and A. It's Will and Alex. Um, this next question was submitted by John Paul Kauke, um, Five Trong, who wants his weekly shout-out so much that he engineered it for himself by submitting a question. He didn't get one last week. No, he didn't get one last week. Sorry, mate. Um, and what he asks... I love also the way he phrased this because it's so like HSC English exam. He says, What differentiates coaching and programming? Elaborate. <laughs> well coaching well programming is part of coaching so programming doesn't sorry coaching includes more than just programming I guess that's the first point um, coaching is evaluating technique it is planning for the year it is sort of talking to your clients all the time and get, getting to know them on an, uh, on an emotional mental level all that kind of stuff and programming is literally just writing down the sets and reps that get them to where you want them to go yeah what i think like you said coaching is more than programming i consider programming a vehicle for coaching but yeah think of it like this programming is literally just planning training whereas coaching is fostering skills including like technical skills and things but also skills in how you approach training how you appraise issues um competitive skills things like that coaching is about sort of trying to create a successful training environment for somebody and the reason programming can be a vehicle for that is because you communicate purpose as a coach to your clients. You might say, hey, I want you to execute X and Y in X and Y way for you know Z purpose. Um, or I want you to try doing this and this is the lesson I want you to learn from it or these are the outcomes that I want to see. Um, you know, or you can just, yeah, or you can just communicate more broadly to your clients the skills you want them to develop. But coaching is sort of that like meta aspect of programming because anybody can write a training plan for somebody else and presuming they follow it and everything goes well then things will be great but um but yeah coaching is coaching is the more sort of like esoteric hands-on um you know how do we get the best out of you what are the skills you need to develop how are you going to do it how can we fix your technique what ways can we communicate better with each other to get you a better training plan going forwards all of those things yeah it's more of a like fluid environment that you're trying to create versus a program is just sort of sort of set in stone concrete yeah um and obviously for me coaching also involves sending memes to my clients day in day out john paul um who usually appreciates my memes sometimes he doesn't i wouldn't <laughs> yeah you probably wouldn't my humor's way up here and you're way down here we're talking to people on audio so they can't see your hand just as well my hand was really high and then it went really low <laughs> <laughs> all right um Okay, here's another good one. Um, how to perform foolproof... Oh, I, did I write it like this? I'm sorry, I transposed this question badly. It's by, um, I think your name is Talitha Travers or Talitha Travers. You asked um, how to give foolproof handout instructions for bench and sort of eliminate a source of errors. Um, I kind of laughed when I read this because it's kind of like how do you communicate clearly in English? Um, how to form foolproof handout instructions yeah but i think i just typed that out instead of screenshotting the dm unless you copied the dm that i 
sent you a picture of. Doesn't matter. No, no, you wrote how to form and I wrote how to perform. Oh, I'm no, she did. She said how to form. Yeah, how to form I, makes sense. You wrote perform because I'm an idiot. That's, that was my fault. Okay, doesn't matter. Point is, you've asked this question. How do you communicate effectively in English? Obviously, Alex and I struggle here and there with that. Um, and yeah, so at first I thought that's pretty laughable. But then I thought, okay, there's actually a few things that you really want to cover um, when you give people instructions for your handouts. So, um, and we've spoken about this earlier as well um, on the podcast a number of times. But number one, you want to tell people the signals you're going to give them for when you want them to help you with the handout and when you want them to let go. So you explain the signals to them. You explain how much of the weight you want them to take. So saying give me a soft handout is fine. Most people usually know what that means, but you can also actually be more explicit and say, hey, I only want you to take a tiny bit of the weight, but I want you to help guide it out. Or you can say, take heaps of the weight, or you can say, you know, um, just take a bit of the weight with me, not too much and bring it out, but actually give them some gauge of how much you want. Tell them when you want them to lift it out and tell them how far you want them to take it out and when you're going to tell them to let go. If you can do those things and say it consistently every time you get on the platform, that should be clear enough for most people to help you out. And also just give them some feedback because if they do it perfectly on the first one and you say exactly like that, thank you, don't change anything, that's great. Whereas if it wasn't quite right, you're going to have to give them fresh instructions the next time you come out. Alex? Yeah, agreed entirely. Well, let's move on from there. Um, All right, next question. So questions re APU, PA, WP, IPF, every other acronym and Nats winners, etc. Yeah, three letter acronym city here. So I got a whole bunch of people in the wake of the recent powerlifting Australia slash Robert Wilkes announcements that um, PA slash Oceania slash Robert Wilkes were at least mostly vindicated in court against the IPF. Um, People asking questions such as what will happen to the APU? Is PA rejoining the IPF? What's the future of world powerlifting? What's the future of the IPF? Um, What will happen to nationals winners of both APU and PA going forward? The short answer is that I don't know. Um, there was an announcement or there was an email sent out today um, that to, I honestly don't really think said much of anything um, that explained anything um, but if you haven't and this will come out like 10 days after the fact if you haven't read that email then go through your inbox um, and have a look um, what will happen with world powerlifting in that email, it said Powerlifting Australia's principal affiliation will remain with World Powerlifting. Um, the fact that they said principal affiliation makes me wonder whether they're going to allow simultaneous affiliation with the IPF, which, given that both are under the wider code, would actually be allowed, I presume, unless there's a specific statute that says you can't in World Powerlifting. I don't think there is, because when we spoke to Rob on Weekly Weights, he said that people would be, at least in theory, allowed to compete in the World Games and World Powerlifting if they wanted. Whether that's allowed from the IPF's perspective, I'm not sure because one, the IPF statutes have had to revert to the ones that they had when they first registered in Luxembourg in 2007. So I'm not sure if this was changed since then. And two, because it was a point of contention with New Zealand when it was moved to have the New Zealand Powerlifting Federation affiliate with World Powerlifting, whether um, whether they could be affiliated with both the IPF and WP in their case and um, the IPF said that wasn't allowed Um, again listen to Brett Gibbs talk to us about it It sounded very confusing so basically no answers lots of questions Um, we'll try and interview Rob soon Uh, he's appearing on another podcast and we'll probably talk about it a little bit more there as well provided he's sufficiently interrogated but yeah in short we don't know
Cool. Cool. All, All right. right. Next question. Yeah, next question. This is from Amelia Melmo. She she's Beck's client? Yeah, she's Amelia DePaolo. Yep. Oh, is that her Instagram name? Amelia. No, she's Amelia Melmo. Oh, okay, so Amelia DePaolo. She was supposed to do Top Lifter, but couldn't. She has a Frenchie. Cool. Yeah, shout out to your French Bulldog. Frenchie crew. Frenchie crew. All right, she says, hooked, hook first mix grip. I've always pulled hook and can't maintain it and switch to mix. Is it better to practice hook until that intensity or always pull as in comp? Did you copy-paste this from the way I sent it or transpose it? No, it's copy-paste. Man, I, was I must confused. have typed was... like a moron. Okay, so watch it. I was confused by the way it was written. Yeah, I'm, I reckon I transposed this at like 8 p.m., which is about an hour and a half past my normal bedtime. So that's probably why it's unclear. What she was asking is she always pulled hook prior to starting powerlifting, um, but now is lifting intensities, which, so in this case, absolute intensities, where she can't maintain her hook grip and she has to swap to mixed grip. So the question was, is it better to practice hook grip up until the intensity at which she can't maintain her hook anymore and has to swap to mixed grip or to always do her reps using the same grip that she uses in competition? Well, Does that make more sense? That makes more sense. I think if you're going to pull mixed grip in competition, you're wasting your time doing hook grip in training. Um, but if you do want to pull hook grip in competition, you have to pra- you're going to have to continue practicing it in training to the point where you can then handle your absolute loads that you're going to be lifting in competition. Yeah, I mean, more or less agree. I do think there is probably some value to not necessarily practicing hook um, or even practicing double overhand because it's so limiting on how much load you can hold. But there's probably some value sometimes to doing your deadlifts um, without a mixed grip. Okay, I've got mixed feelings on this. So when you pull with a mixed grip um, and presuming you always have one hand pronated and one hand supinated, you get a tiny bit of... um, you get a tiny bit of asymmetry at the shoulder and hip to accommodate that. Um, and it's even worse when you pull sumo, but if you pull conventional, you get a tiny bit. And that, yeah, that asymmetrical strain will probably lead to some adaptations in terms of how much range of motion you have in things like internal and external rotation at the hip and shoulder. Um, you'll probably get some different levels of like tightness in the oblique and QL and things on opposite sides of your back. Um, hopefully when we talk to Jamie Smith, who might be coming on the show soon, we can get some more more clear information from somebody who knows what they're talking about from that. But there is, there's a case to be made for people who are not powerlifting um, to do a lot of their deadlifts with straps where possible because it gives you a bit more symmetry. In powerlifting though, those adaptations are kind of functional because at the heaviest loads, you've got to actually brace in that very slightly asymmetrical position. But I could also see times where to keep yourself healthy through the hips, shoulders, and back, which will carry over to your squat and bench press. I could see times where maybe swapping the hand that you supinate or doing some reps with both of your hands pronated would be smart. Um, but if you can't, yeah, if you can't hold the bar hook and do that, and long term that's going to rip your hands up because I used to try it, then just doing most of your heaviest work with a mixed grip and doing some of your back down work with straps is probably a better. Um, a better compromise but for the most part yeah if you're not going to pull hook in comp then you actually need to build your grip and your bracing skills with your mixed grip so i would do mixed grip for your heaviest work um and then yeah probably just straps because hook's not really going to help you as a skill um for your back down stuff but yeah i would just i'd consider those potentials for asymmetry maybe um maybe something that you mentioned um swapping your hands 
that you use mix so like making your underhand over and overhand under is something that um i wanted to ask simon bergner about when we can eventually get him on because he has his lifters do reverse mix grip like in training as a variation variation yeah so i mean i can tell you for me and particularly because i've had my one hamstring operated on it feels really weird to me to do that yeah it feels Um, weird to me too because i've literally never never had my right hand under i mean it's fine at like 60 percent intensities and at that point i would do it i would i don't think pulling heavy for the reasons i said because you're actually more proficient at bracing in the correct like i say correct with air quotes way um i would never go heavy heavy doing that but yeah with your lighter stuff it's probably okay um yeah cool next cool. question um next question chris white how am i going cutting to 85 how am i doing it so again <laughs> this is my really bad transposition of questions the i in that instance is not chris white um, I haven't actually been monitoring his cut to 85. He was asking me, Will, how is Will going cutting to 85 kilos and how is he doing it? Oh, there you go. Joke's on you, Chris. I'm not doing it. Uh, <laughs> um, I had initially entered the Strength Fortress end of year challenge at 85 kilos. Um, I'm competing as part of Alex's team and we had a 94 Tommy Cumberworth who has pulled out of the competition but I was going to cut down to 85 to give us a better spread across the classes so we can take home that prize money and buy everybody food. Um, but Tommy pulled out and we already have, is it Ben Sellers? Mm. Yeah, so Ben Sellers is doing the 85s and I think he's slightly better than me. He's also good mates with Chris, so shout out Ben and Chris. Um, is he better than you, is he? Yeah, Way better. Way better. <laughs> he's a little bit better. What Just across all three lifts, which sums up to a lot. He's better at all three lifts at Except a Except for the deadlift. Yeah, true. Um, okay. Considerably better. But he's, consi- than him. he's like 40 kilos better than your bench. Yeah, he's really good. Um, so as it happens, it wasn't so good for the team for me to cut weight. And also, to be honest, like I didn't really like cutting. I lost like three kilos in three weeks and then decided I'd rather just be sort of jacked up and a bit fluffy. So Bring back Fat Will. Bring back Fat Will. So yeah, I'm considering going 120 plus because I don't think we've got anybody in that category either. But no, for the moment, I'll be a 94. I'll just be a skinny one. Um and as for how I was doing it, I did a very short mini cut because from 88-ish, I could cut to 85 easily. But my idea was three or four week mini cut um, in a little competition with one of my clients for weight loss and then another kilo-ish probably. So I'd be walking around in the 87 to 88 range and water cut from there. Anyway, as it happened, didn't do it. Doesn't matter. Um, silly question break and then we'll come back. Cool. All right. Um, oh yeah, the silly question I got from Matt Cherry was shout out Matt Cherry shout out Matt Cherry 200 kilo squad club yeah and world class shit talker what he said is um, the Conor McGregor of powerlifting but without the talent to back it up <laughs> wow wrecked um because <laughs> he's Irish as well yeah also entirely agree um <laughs> Matty Cherry says how does Hazy adapt his training to adjust for the fact that he spends each day punching above his weight <laughs> Chrissy's in the room loving it well it just means I have to reduce my training volume a little bit because it's hard it's hard at home he is absolutely tuckered out from all this punching above his weight I've never seen somebody able to sleep so much I reckon if Alex didn't have to go to work he would sleep 20 hours a day and he'd train for three of them even though his sessions could be done in 45 minutes and then he'd you know eat slowly for one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's about it so so yeah he just takes it yeah, get, takes it easy i get really tired doing all the punching so yeah training training has to take a hit <laughs> all right um shout out chrissy dask quick break and the boys will be back 
boys are back on weekly weights with the two and a. I love it. Two the and two a is gonna a. be. It's gonna go off. That's gonna be a hashtag. All right. Next question is from Bradley Wall. So Bradley is one of JP's boys out at the Strength Fortress. He says, "What's the best way for an intermediate lifter to learn about programming?" Do you want to take this one? Yeah, sure. Um, <sighs> we got a similar one actually. Um, what, who like else would you recommend learning from in regards to powerlifting? So these are pretty similar. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, I'm going to answer this in like the form of a parable, except instead of a parable, I'm just going to make it like a biography of myself. Um, how how do you learn about programming? So number one was um, read a lot, read a lot about programming and read a lot of programs, but do so discerningly. Um, it's very easy for for people to, and I think there might even be some benefit to it in a way, but it's very easy to only follow like one school of programming or only read one person's thoughts on programming and basically just become a disciple of them and parrot what they say. But probably the best way to learn, particularly in something like programming where there's lots of ways to skin a cat, is to read some people who talk about principles and then read a whole bunch of programs and see what they have in common and what they have different and how they um, how they approach or overcome the same problems or same obstacles in different ways. And so when I was first learning about programming, um, I had read a whole bunch of stuff by Mark Ripto. I'd read a whole bunch of stuff by Jim Wendler. I had read, um, I think the person who wrote Mad Cows wrote this really long post on... Um, on the two-factor uh, model of fatigue and fitness. So I started reading things like that. Um, I mean, much later, I read the book, The Scientific Principles of Strength Training. Um, but re- yeah, read a whole bunch of stuff, read a lot of programs, um, you know, read other people's thoughts on programming, but do so discerningly um, and don't take things at face value necessarily, but look for look for common threads and yeah, just try and, draw all those ideas out but then once you've done that the next step is to actually try it and by trying it i mean do some training um you know write programs for other people and then when you've written the programs i mean people have to people actually have to do them before you know whether they're going to work or not but it's probably a good idea to have other people look at them and say why did you do x or y that way you know have you considered doing you know x y z like blah, blah 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 and sometimes you'll come to the conclusion that either would work and it doesn't matter and sometimes you'll come to the conclusion that like hey you're making a mistake here but get feedback take that feedback on board um yeah and just practice but but yeah basically read lots of stuff think lots about it practice it a lot get feedback take the feedback on board and even when you've done something that you consider successful think could that have been more successful if i'd done x y and z how will i know probably by trying it again um or referring back to those principles that you've learned alex yeah, completely agreed there. Um, to answer the second question, what are the who else should you be listening to in regards to power thing? Who are the people that you would recommend people out there follow for information? Um, I think probably some of the most sound advice, um, just from a conceptual level, and I think concepts are the most important, have been um, the juggernaut stuff. So the scientific principles of strength training that was um, Chad Smith and Mikey Sertel um that yeah that's probably the one that stands out but also uh, the eric helms is um yeah you want to say it yeah so eric helms has um a pyramid of training hierarchy and he has one for nutrition and one for training yeah so that sort of outlines 
what is the most important what are the most important factors at the bottom of the pyramid down to the least important factors at the top of the pyramid and yeah. sort of explaining those those concepts and how they work together yeah and i think when you can when you use that stuff um you can then you can then look back at programs and look at ones that like you know to have been like you know to have been successful and see how well they stack up against the principles that um that those books outline i think juggernaut even did yeah, a video yeah. series on this yeah, yeah juggernaut have done this on their own they've done this on their own system they've done this on the bulgarian system they've done this on um west side and i'm not sure about what else yeah but i think when you start doing that you get this sort of like quite holistic view of and i hate the word holistic normally because it's so naff but yeah you get quite a holistic view of like you know the fact that lots of things can work and depending on the situation there's probably a thousand approaches you can take but you can also have stronger or weaker options at a given time for stuff and it just makes you better at appraising systems as a whole but yeah i would i would basically do that um yeah um i learned the most from writing programs for friends for free yeah i did exactly the same thing Um, first yeah when i was like 19 and i was hadn't even done my cert three and four i was just helping out friends because i was training and they wanted help yeah and i learned very quickly that i didn't really know what i was doing so i had to learn elsewhere yeah and i like i wrote my own programs for a while before i had any idea what i was doing and did lots of really dumb shit um and and i think back to it now and kind of laugh because i remember like sending amir when i'd started training with him a bunch of like workouts i'd been doing and just being like um at the time being like oh at least he has a vague idea what i've been getting up to and then when i look back i'm like man he must have thought i was dumb as hell yeah i guess but what you haven't mentioned yet and what i haven't mentioned yet is the best way to learn is to ask the person who's coaching you why they put certain things in your program why yeah. you're doing tens why you're doing sixes blah yeah. blah 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 and it's funny because sometimes my answers i almost feel like it's all a bit much of a muchness and it doesn't matter um which isn't true there's obvious like things aren't just much of a muchness and the decisions you make do matter but sometimes um lifters have a very granular focus instead of a very like um i don't know like big picture focus as well and then you've got to sort of explain that like your attention might need to be granular you have to focus rep by rep on doing everything perfect and making every set good but really when you look at it from the from like the big level some of those decisions don't matter as much as the lifter thinks so it's hard to convey that but yeah that's definitely a helpful discussion to have but like i learned heaps like you were saying by writing programs for friends for free and yeah some of them were shit i remember um i used to write programs in fact i did it more recently for a while as well more successfully too um for my friend Lockie brikey and um and i so i started writing programs for him and he was getting really really good results um and then i started writing a whole bunch for his friends because a lot of his friends were like what's going on here like you're getting really strong and you're making good gains and like you're putting on muscle and not getting as fat as you used to because he used to go on these hilarious dreamer bulks um shout out Lockie for his two liters of milk and 10 egg omelets bring um, back fat Lockie. yeah fat Lockie was peaceful um but like i was writing in these programs but then sometimes i would try things because my intuition or my reasoning i should say but reasoning is just intuition that you've thought about more <laughs> sometimes um <laughs> my my intuition would say oh this is probably a good idea for Lockie based on these one or two principles i've been thinking about and then i'd do stuff and it wouldn't really work as well as i expected and when i look back at those programs now i'm like man like you know sometimes it was way too much work or it was way too hard or it was just a bit like you know there's something unnecessary or silly about it but again you learn those lessons by actually doing it 
and you get somewhere and he still got somewhere he got way better and so did everybody that i trained with him it's just it took me a long time to refine the process so if you want to learn about it you really have to do it um yeah be the process yeah be the process god uh (laughs) let's make that a hashtag don't just trust it don't just follow it be it i wonder how many fitness hashtags have started purely on the basis of somebody like trolling fitness hashtags and being stupid let's have be the process be it trust the being be the trusting let's move on (laughs) okay training when sick what should be changed and when brandon Brandon, shout out Brandon. Shout out Brandon. He submitted a lot of dumb questions. Yeah, I only wrote down like half of them. Yeah, I know. And that, like the top 50% are still pretty dumb. This one's <laughs> not dumb, but like... Um, he, he was actually sick this week. And um, yeah, he was asking about this. So what should we... First of all, it depends how sick you are. Second of all, it depends um, what your training looks like at the moment. So... If you are, if you just have the sniffles like Brandon did, a little man flu, maybe take a day off training and then see if you can get back into it the next day. Um, if you are genuinely feel like you're getting sick, you're going to need to take time off. You may need a deload. Um, it depends then the timing of like competition and stuff like that. Because a lot of people get sick during their comp prep, like when things are getting heavy, they start to feel run down and stuff. They will start to get sick, and it's kind of a hard thing to balance. Um, when someone starts to get sick, but then maybe they've got the heavier squat coming up. What are the what are the kind of things that you can do, Will, to sort of, I guess, manage training around that? <sighs> um, this tough depends. Hmm? Yeah, it is a tough one, and it's very situational. Um, taking days off can work. Flexibility in your training schedule can also work. So this annoys me because I usually structure my training weeks such that the days are distributed in a way that makes sense like i would have a light bench day the bench day prior to the heaviest one and you know i space my heavy and light squats a certain way and my heavy squats and my heavy deadlifts and things but if you're sick um and you can't manage your heaviest session and delaying it's not going to throw out your meat plans really badly then sometimes just substituting days can work as well but uh um a sort of tool that I use with clients, and this isn't based on anything enormously academic, it's just an easy way of like flowcharting decisions, is I say to people, if you're like, if you're sick, and I said, how do you feel right now? And usually people say like, I'm like 70% or seven out of 10 or something. I say like, you know, if you're more than a seven out of 10, just go and try and do your session as planned and we'll worry about it when you're there and feeling bad. If you're in that sort of like five to seven range of like, I feel... I feel pretty, like I feel off notably, but I'm not like bedridden. I'm just like a little bit off. Then I usually give people some type of deloading instruction. So I might say like, you know, drop one set from every exercise or like, you know, drop your volume by 25% and then drop your intensity by like 10% or something. Um, And that reduces the training stress a little bit. And if they're like, like, honestly, I'm, you know, a five or lower, then I tend to say, okay, um, okay, it's better you skip today and we'll just, yeah, we'll accommodate this somewhere else in your training week. And when you have um, when you have coaching, it's useful because the coach can say, "Hey, look, like here's the most important stuff that I want to see done in this week." And you know they might say instead of doing your heavy and light squats this week, we'll just do one medium session that'll carry over to your next heavy one. And it's not necessarily the best possible training arrangement, but it's one that still keeps the momentum. So having somebody to consult with on that is good as well. But yeah, that's that's the tool I normally use: is see how bad they are before I make changes. 
if you can rearrange their training so that they get the hardest work done or the most important work done um, one way or another, then that's great too. Um, and yeah, if all else fails, then you can appraise their longer-term plans and decide whether or not it really matters. Because if you're in one of those blocks where you don't even have a comp coming up, then there's no real loss for not training for like four or five days and having to start lighter and go backwards like a week. It's just not a problem. Yeah, if your training's of a lower priority at the moment and you try and push on... Um, through the sickness you can make yourself worse and then you're gonna have to take extra time off and then you will actually make yourself worse yeah it should be worse than just taking off those couple of days in the first place yeah and your resilience to training stress is going to be greatly reduced when you are sick and your risk of injury is going to be increased as well so again just like be pragmatic um and yeah where possible refer to a coach or to a doctor's advice is probably even smarter as well if you're sick enough to need to see the doctor yeah just be logical about it don't be a hero and push through and make yourself worse All right. and don't be a coward and or a bitch and not do anything because you got the sniffles branded yeah. <laughs> alright um, maybe let's answer one more quick break again um, I'm right, liking the breaks. I'm going to have to play so much guitar this week, but guys, I know you love it. Um, you can send requests for guitar tunes to me on Instagram. All right, Burke. All right. Shoot, shag, marry the three lips. Oh, I meant like a, um, I meant one more sensible question. Okay. Right, okay. No, we'll do shoot, shag, marry. Right, shoot, shag, marry the three lips, Will. Um, marry, 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 marry. this would be really easy for you no because I'm thinking about like thinking about lots of stuff um shoot probably shoot the bench press no shit no but I'm not thinking in terms of pure performance I'm thinking like bench press could be mad in bed like it messes me up big time you know um that's really like large and in charge except not large just in charge so yeah probably shoot the bench press though I don't have much love for it but then the shag and marry is difficult because Although I'm a better deadlifter than squatter and I'm much more comfortable with it, um, there are times when deadlifts just feel trash and it hurts. And um, Whereas squats are sort of like consistently mediocre and so I'm just wondering whether I want to just have one of those, you know, little white picket fence lives that don't matter or whether I want to have like a really, you know, tumultuous love affair for the whole of my life with, you know, great highs and hamstring tearing lows. And I think the answer is marry deadlift and shag the squat thoughts well i would do the opposite of what you did so i would shoot the bench press yeah um i would marry squats yeah and i would fuck deadlifts okay or shag deadlifts okay question the remix you now deadlift sumo what are your answers shoot deadlifts wow there you go sumo <laughs> pullers <laughs> all right I'd shoot your deadlift before you even got there <laughs> man you should, see Al- I you should see alex pull sumo oh god it's something else. All right. I'm going to break. We'll come back for more questions. Weekly Weights. Okay. Boys are back in town. Boys are back in town. Alex, you with me? I'm with you. All right. Um, shout out to... I don't even know who that was. That wasn't Steely Dan. Boys are back in town. Who was that by? I don't know. Uh, maybe nah. Steely Dan was reeling in the years. I'll look it up. Um, I actually feel silly. I should know this. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, shout out to whatever band that was. Um, the question is from Woody. Um, 
which is W-T-E-N-O-S-D-Y, isn't it, on Instagram? I actually don't know what that means. He's like W-T-N-O-S-D-Y. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He asks this question. It's what are the differences in training the online athlete? Um, the differences, I mean, there's plenty of differences, but the main one is the difficulties for me. Um, when you are working with somebody online, you rely entirely on the communication and the quality of the information that they give you to provide coaching service back to them. And it's also harder for you to communicate. So that's that, number that one. That said, it sounded like you just read straight off a piece of paper. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't read that off a piece of paper, but it's a discussion I have with a number of people. And the second part of the discussion I have with a number of people is that certain people are not very well suited to online coaching, um, both due to like just personality traits and more importantly due to their level of advancement as a lifter um i'm actually writing an article about this that's probably the piece of paper that i read it off in my head um but i just i've writer's block you know sometimes just i open my heart and the words don't come out um because the heart's broken (laughs) alex is giving me the worst look um no look other than personality traits the other big issue is that um is that for some people they're just truly not advanced enough to maximally benefit from online coaching. And while there's plenty of examples of people who have gotten really good under online coaching from a poor start, one of the basic tenets of motor learning is that feedback is more useful when it is immediate or near immediate. And the more dissociation there is between the time of you executing a skill and the feedback you get on it, the harder it is for you to actually learn from that feedback and implement it. And so when somebody sees me in person who has a number of squat technical errors, I can tell them rep by rep, good, bad, good, bad, do this more, do that more. And they can mindfully attempt those things on the spot. When somebody works with me online and they say, hey, here's sets one and four of my four by 10 at 50% squats and they all look like trash. I can tell them, hey, try doing all these things next time. Um, But to them, it's still gonna be, you know, three, four days before they get to squat again, maybe a week before they get to do that exact variation again. And they're going to have to try and remember how they executed the skill last time, remember my feedback. Hopefully they've written it down or kept it somewhere useful um, and then try and apply it then. And it's just much, much harder to learn in that respect. So um, so the amount of technical coaching you can give people, oh, yeah, the amount of technical coaching is reduced, but also just the degree to which you can actually really get hands-on and work with them on queuing solutions is reduced as well because, again, same thing. If I say, hey, try this queue next time, i got to wait a week to see whether it worked. Whereas if I'm working with somebody and I try a set and then I say, let's think of this queue for the next set and it works, great. If it doesn't work, we can try another one. But you have multiple more chances at problem solving just by having somebody next to you. So it makes things much easier. Alex? Yeah, it's like one way of thinking is like kind of like delayed delayed feedback is kind of like delayed coaching by a week almost yeah like unless they're doing the same exercise multiple times per week they're only going to have one chance per week to um put that feedback into use and if it is constant and you know or and you're always with them coaching them through everything it's just like it just clicks a lot quicker it's almost like you get weeks and weeks and weeks of online coaching in a week or in one session like it's just a lot more efficient yeah and i think um and in with online coaching the onus is on the lifter themselves to give you the right information set up the camera from the right um angle send you like 
essentially you want to see every set, but you're not going to sit through and watch every every single set that everyone does because most of the time they won't send you every set. But um, if you do see them in person, you will be able to literally see every rep that they do and you'll be able to correct it as you go. So it's kind of like the onus becomes on you as a coach and it goes on to them yeah. if they're online. Yeah, and I think... Um Sorry, the inverse of what I'd said before, obviously, is that more advanced people can benefit really well from online coaching because they're technically more stable. And when you say implement this one small change, it's sort of like it's one change within a fairly stable system as opposed to just like, you know, everything's changing every rep. Um, yeah, if you have online clients who you're having to send paragraphs and paragraphs to after every video they send you, they're probably not the right person for online coaching. No, and I think a lot of people think, think oh, hey, I'm going to hire somebody for online training because it's cheaper and this way I get to access, you know, say you listen to Weekly Waste and you think, wow, um, Alex is a legend. So, I mean, obviously this is deeply hypothetical. (laughs) (laughs) But say you listen to Weekly Waste and you think, wow, Alex is a legend. I'd love to work with him. Um, You know, and you might think it's an even better investment of my time because Alex is only X dollars per week online and the PT in my gym is, you know, double that um, for in-person sessions. Um, people are attracted to online because of, yeah, that access to, to different figures and the fact that it might be cheaper. But the downside is you don't actually get as good of a return on your investment of money as you may at that particular stage of your development by talking to the person who is closest to you. Because yeah, like I said, the feedback that you get on the spot is usually worth two or three times as much. So don't, yeah, don't be sucking in necessarily by the fact that the person on your Instagram or your podcast offers online coaching um, and you think that's a way to access them when the service that you need is actually somebody in the room with you. So if you can't be in the room with them, mightn't be your best bet. That's what I think. I agree. Um, anyway, online in coach, coaching inquiries to willatwillberkman.com um, for me. Alex, how do they get to you? They don't. <laughs> I'm full. Um, all right. What accessories are the most slash least important for progressing the main lifts? Alex Allen. He answered. He asked two questions. So yeah. the, the next one as well. What happens to progress on the main lifts if you consistently skip accessories? I found this really ironic. I thought he was like he was like setting us up to then be like, I'm not going to do them no matter what you tell me. No, he he loves doing his accessories. He's like he's like yeah, not yeah. normal. You know, he sneaks in some extra accessories. I've seen Alex in there doing some extra bicep curls. No, he's allowed to. Oh, is he? Yeah. Have you he's seen like, how fucking jacked he got? I was going to say he's pretty jacked. He got up, way more jacked. He's massed out, guys. Um to the whole of Australia massed out is the new word for jacked up I just think it's the funniest phrase in the world um, <laughs> yeah he's looking massed out bro um, yeah so what are the what accessories are the most slash least important for progressing the main lifts um, do you want to have a quick go or shall I have a quick go yeah I'll go first um, the particular accessories that you need the most are going to be the ones that cater to the individual the most so that that I guess that's in regards to the direct variations of the main lifts. So, you know, if you're someone who's instable in the bottom of a squat, you might do a poor squat or a tempo squat or something. And that would be specific to that person. So it's hard to say which particular close variation of the main lift is going to be the best to accessorize the main lift, I guess. But if we're talking about stuff that is like one step further away from the main lifts, like you know, your general bodybuilding work, your grunt work, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't really matter what it is that you do unless you have glaring weaknesses. Yeah, so here's... You basically said it. Um, I'll just try and say it more systematically. So there is... Um, there's obviously like a hierarchy of specificity and the more specific things are the ones that are most likely to carry over. Um, 
So yeah, the things that are close variations or resemble the main lifts are likely the most important work that you do. And the further you get from something that resembles a squat bench or deadlift, usually the less carryover it has. Um, that is probably subject to the fact that some individuals as well have really specific needs and, you know, say need to accumulate extra quad volume because quads are a weakness, but they struggle to do more squats because their back hurts or something. And so leg extensions might suddenly be more important, but broadly more similar it is to the main lift, the more important it is. Um, and yeah, as you move away from the main lifts, um, from like a universal standpoint, the the exercises that you choose and how hard you train at them and you know how much you, you do of them probably gets less important. But I still, and I'm Alex has the same belief, I still don't think people should have to do things for no reason in a program. And so if it's there, it's probably worth doing. It's probably worth doing well. And it might be that your choice in which exercise you use is malleable. But, you know, say you have some upper back, like upper back work, you know, your upper back is not really going to be the failing point on any of the power lifts just about ever. Um, but it's still important to do that work for a number of reasons. And if you're not sure why, then you could listen to any of the fixing the series. Um, so it's still important that you do it just because even though it's not enormously specific to the power lifts, it's still worth doing. Again, shout out JP who doesn't like doing his upper back work. Likewise, things like abs and stuff not enormously specific on a movement level, but you know, it'll help you create stability. It'll help keep you healthy, all those things as well. So if it's in your program, it's worth doing or your program sucks. So you should still train hard at it. Yeah. Um, all right. Now the next question is oh, what happens? Yeah. Yeah. What happens if you consistently skip accessories? Um, You'll develop weaknesses that will make your main list worse, essentially. Yeah. Look, so if you like the example that will, um, just use then if you skip all your upper back work you may then have a point where you literally your legs are strong enough to squat a certain weight but you can't hold yourself upright yeah or your core might be weak and you can't hold yourself upright so these are the things that kind of add to the the they're like little pieces of the puzzle that um create the main lift but if you don't do them you're going to have glaring holes in your in your end result yeah i think more or less that um another a potential perspective on this is if you're consistently skipping your accessories and you continue to progress um long term then it may actually be that you're doing that you're doing too much volume or work total like in your program as written you're not actually doing too much because you're getting better but like had you done your whole program it was it was a little bit too much and an indication that you could probably trim away some of the work um that's if you continue to progress long-term, but more often than not, you won't. And one of the reasons you won't is because although the powerlifts are the most specific things and therefore they tend to carry over the most when you train them to the powerlifts, accessories are a really good way of us giving targeted training stress to certain muscles or movement patterns without imposing as much like systemic stress or stress to other muscles that the powerlifts do. And so if we suspect that say, like Alex said, you know, your upper back or your core needs more development to help you in your squat, um, to give that enough stress to develop enough to keep your squat ticking along requires us to do some work that is not squatting sometimes. Um, and so if you, yeah, if you miss out on that, then yeah, you will eventually, you will eventually have a whole um, develop. But yeah, short term, you might be able to progress just fine. And a, a lot of the accessory work that we do is there for the purpose of building, mu like building more muscle, building bigger muscles, which is going to um, give us like a long-term it's going to give us a broader base, broader base to work from, which is going to make our ceiling higher in the long term. Yeah. So if we are continually skipping our accessories, 
we may be shortchanging how good we can be in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, if you're progressing, you're probably doing okay short term, but you should still probably do some accessories. And what are the ones that are most important? The ones that are most similar, but also all of them are important or they shouldn't be in your program. What are the least important? Calves. You know what? Oh, actually, I've made this joke on the podcast before, which is that if you plant a flex hard enough in a closed chain, that it would actually start standing you up out of the bottom of a squat. Um, but anyway, that's a really nerdy biomechanics joke. Let's not, yeah, let's not worry about that. Um, it's not true either. Um, just in case anyone was thinking about it, calves are relatively unimportant. I consider them wasted weight in weight class athletes, to be I honest. I do too, and I think that make, it makes it harder to get small knee sleeves on, which could help your squat. Yeah, true. Like, I have zero calves, and I can wear medium knee sleeves real easily. I remember Hanny was like, bro, let's throw some calves in your program. I was like, no, I want to keep getting my small knee sleeves on. He <laughs> was like, fair call. Fair call. Hanny, good luck. Um, all right. Best way to write up programs, asks Matt Hancock. Excel, Word, Google Sheets. I don't think it matters, but for what it's worth, I write my programs in Excel, and then I copy them into Google Sheets so that clients can send them and update them. Um, and I give them to the clients on Google Sheets, not necessarily because I read their notes all the time, although often they're really funny, um, but because it gives the client a way to actually be writing their own stuff down. And I just find that like the act of writing what you're doing down is mindful or is good for mindfulness and that helps. But yeah, I write them in Excel, copy to that. I have periodically just written things in Word documents when it's really simple or just like one week for a deload and stuff like that. Um, sometimes I've done it in a Word doc. But even then, like now, if somebody has a Google Sheet stock, it's an easy place to collate all their programs and always access. So that's how I do it. But it doesn't actually matter from a perspective of like how you write a program. I plan with a pen and paper normally. So yeah, Alex? Yeah, I use um, Excel or Numbers and then I just save them as PDFs and send as PDFs. And then I have like one file for each. Yeah, yours um, are actually quite a tidy template, I have to say. Yeah, I just have one folder for each lifter with all of their programs in it. Um, I am actually considering moving everything to um, Google Docs and um, having like all the programs on the same sheet so you can sort of scroll back and look look at like years and years of programming if it gets to that point. Yeah, I eventually have been deleting client programs from Google Sheets just because eventually it gets really cluttered across the bottom. Like there's so many tabs and some of my clients have multiple tabs to look at, like one for diet, one for training here and there. Yeah, and I just, it's so much stuff. I would have one tab and it's like one sheet and then you scroll across the page and it's like the next sheet. You understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. So like if you zoom, if you zoomed out, you'd see like the whole year of training. Yeah, that could be cool. Um, but yeah, I might do that in the future. But that was from Matt, Matt Hancock, who if you don't follow Matt Hancock, he has some hilarious power. No, he deleted stuff. a whole bunch of his stuff from his old... Um, Matt, can you please write to Weekly Weights and confirm where all your memes and stuff went? He used to make the funniest edits. Um, if you don't follow him, he's Strongman Matthias yeah, on Instagram. Does he still have his, like... Um, yeah, see, he deleted some posts. <clears throat> yeah, Matt, tell us where we can find all your old video edits. They were the best. All right. Um, what tips do you have for someone who struggles to get calories in? Um, okay. So... <laughs> sorry, I just nearly put my piece of paper on poor little dog's head um what tips do i have someone for someone who struggles to get calories in so um when you are when you are struggling to lose weight um i often give people a few behavioral tips that help um such as having consistent um having consistent meal timing choosing things that are low energy density because 
when people are eating ad lib, so just grabbing as much food as they want to eat, they tend to eat relatively consistent volumes of food. So when you eat a lot of vegetables and drink a lot of water, um, you'll tend to spontaneously reduce energy intake a little bit. Um, whether that'll do it for you chronically, I'm not sure. I'm sure if you get hungry enough, you'll just start snacking elsewhere. But um, people tend to tend to lose weight easily by eating at consistent times, um, sitting down and being mindful when they eat, eating lots of vegetables, drinking lots of water, and avoiding hyperpalatable foods that are really easy to overeat on. So things that have that sort of mixture of salt, um, sugar, and fats. You know, any two of the three is bad. Any three of the three is like crazy. So thinking things like, um, you know, any confectionery or chocolate, chips, and also just fast foods and stuff that are really easy to overeat. Avoiding that in liquid calories helps to lose weight. When you're trying to gain weight, sometimes you have to do things to almost like overcome your urge to stop eating. And so making your food more palatable um, and making it more energy dense by doing things like adding fats and also adding some salt and sugar here and there helps. Sometimes more frequent meals will help um, because it's easy to get more volume of food in total across the day and more frequent feedings having more liquid calories helps. Um, having variety in your meals helps because again, when you're trying to lose weight, there's there's some reward associated with the novelty of the foods that you eat. So sometimes telling people, hey, have pretty much pretty consistent foods, which is one of the reasons why clean eating helps. Also, it's easier to track um, clean eating in inverted commas. When you're trying to lose weight, you can say to people, hey, make consistent food choices. It's easy to track. And you won't be as driven to just eat heaps more because you'll start to get pretty sick of the same stuff. When you're trying to gain weight, having a reasonable amount of variety in what you're eating is good because it's pretty fucking hard to keep shoveling down the same shit that you've been eating over and over again to gain weight unless you really, really love it. But when you're having different foods every day, there's enough reward associated with it that it's easier to eat a little more. So liquid calories, um, keep it energy dense, add some fat, have foods that are tasty, um, eat relatively frequently. Um, and I would still say, um, still say have a plan for your eating. So even though I think regularity is a good way of um, monitoring appetite, when you're struggling to overcome your urge to not eat any more food, having a pretty consistent meal schedule will help because you'll probably find you're not that hungry for quite a long time, um, at a time if you've been chronically overeating. So still knowing that you're having breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a couple of snacks, and then maybe something after dinner is a pretty good way to go about things as well. Alex? Yeah, um, agreed entirely. What are some of the f- foods that you would go to and you would sort of tell people to eat that kind of really, really easy other than like fast foods and liquid calories? I was going to say fast foods and liquid calories. Um, yeah, because those are the two you mentioned. Like yeah. the ones that I would look at are like um, putting cheese on stuff and cereal. Yeah, cereal with milk. Like the thing is a lot of our breakfast cereals, one of the reasons why people get shitty with them having like a good health star rating is that a lot of them have like a good amount of salt. They're really sweet. They have that nice mouthfeel because they're crunchy. Like nobody actually struggles to eat a nice big bowl of like a mixture of nice brekkie dessert cereals, right? Am I right? Mm -hmm. Like, so yeah, have some cereal with full fat milk. Put some cheese on stuff. Um, Mayonnaise. Yeah, mayonnaise is great. Like added fats really do wonders because like I said, um, fat's the most energy dense macronutrient. So it ups the energy density of everything you're eating. So if you just eat a sandwich with mayo on it, you're eating more calories and you're almost no more full than you would have been had you had the sandwich sans mayo. So that's a really good start. Um, Dessert foods at dessert time or between meals is good. Um, Using like 
um, higher fat meats versus like you might use chicken thigh instead of chicken breast. Yeah, just easy stuff like that. But it's adding adding in stuff that's like really easy to eat and maybe decreasing some of the vegetables and stuff like that. Like yeah. maybe less less green veg and more rice with your stir fry or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I should note at the same time that I think it is important for your health and to a degree for your performance as well, actually, to still have some like a healthy basis for your diet. So get a lot of vegetable matter and stuff across the day. Um, but yeah, it should be pretty dispersed. Like if you're trying to gain weight and one of your meals is a salad, then you're making it really hard. Whereas if you're trying to gain weight and you're like, you know, at dinner, you have a roast with some veggies on the side and like, you know, at brekkie, like you have a bacon and egg roll with some like lettuce and avo and tomato and stuff in it. Like you're still getting veggies in, which is good and healthy for you. You know, and likewise, like have your fruit in a smoothie and stuff a bit, just like. I've heard, um, I've heard people say that because when you're eating um, a lot of calories, it's actually quite hard to miss your micronutrients how much truth is there in that i think it's probably pretty true um actually i think it's probably very true for the athletic populations who still have a relatively broadly healthy diet for like the general population i'm not sure that that's particularly sound advice because you know there were plenty of people who when i was doing placement in hospitals would tell me like the most horrifically hilarious bad diets who were like 120 kilos. So they were eating plenty of food who were still like their whole diet was devoid of a single source of vitamin C say, or like, you know, any, like any vegetables where when I had to make a nutritional appraisal of them, the first thing I was going to say wasn't going to be, Hey, like not enough vitamin C in the diet. Cause it's like way less important than saying how fat they were. Um, but yeah, I think if you were to eat a diet of only shit, you would still probably end up with a degree of micronutrient deficiency, probably not. And a lot of micronutrients, it's like impossible to be deficient, but probably less than is ideal. In particular, as athletes, you need a little more. But if you have, of some, I should say, not of all, but if you have like a diet that's got a decent amount of healthy food, quote unquote, in it, and then some dessert on top, you're probably fine. Cool. Yeah. Um, views on cardio for general health and well-being whilst powerlifting, Tommy Cumberworth. Um I'm going to have a quick go at this and then Alex can answer more. I actually think doing some cardio is probably a good thing. Um, But when I say some, it's subject to how much it interferes with your actual training. Um, There's actually mixed evidence on whether there is an interference effect. So whether aerobic training interferes with um, resistance training adaptations. Um, some of the basis for the idea of the interference effect is that at like the molecular level, there's directly opposing mechanisms of adaptation from one to the other. Um, and yeah, there's a bit more to it than that. But the one that I think is much more important is just the practical one of you can only do so much volume and recover from it. Um, and fatigue from one mode of training interferes with your ability to do the other and it seems the cross um if there is an interference effect it more likely interferes with resistance adaptations um than it does to adaptations to cardio exercise um and i suspect it's because if you do really high volumes of cardio you can't recover enough to do really high volumes of resistance training so um sorry that was all that was all a bit waffly i don't think in most practical senses for powerlifters who don't do extremely high volumes that doing some cardio will interfere most of the time but at the point where it does you would drop cardio now were you to want to do some for your general health and well-being whilst powerlifting the two ways that are least likely to interfere with your powerlifting adaptations are to do very low intensity um, steady state cardio separated from your training times 
And when I say very low intensity, I mean doing things like going for long walks and stuff, which I think still has plenty of health benefit and plenty of well-being benefit. So if you wanted to go for a nice long walk with your dog or your partner in the morning and then train in the evening or train in the morning and then in the afternoon, take your dog for the walk, dog for a walk to the park or something, then I think that's perfectly good. That would be number one. The other one might be to do some interval training immediately after your um, your main training sessions. Um, and the reason I say do it immediately after is because were you to do it prior, the fatigue from that would interfere with you doing your powerlifting sessions. But were you fresh enough to actually do really hard interval training after your powerlifting stuff, you could probably also have handled a little bit more volume doing it. But again, if you want to choose to do that just because you enjoy it, I think that's perfectly fine and valid. So yeah, just doing some, but structuring it such that it doesn't interfere with how hard you can train and your recovery is probably good. Alex? Yeah, you covered everything there that I would have and more. It's unusual. Much more. <laughs> um, what makes a successful powerlifting coach? How can it be measured? Mags. Mags actually like hit me with like a blitzkrieg of questions. So I just picked a few. Blitzkrieg. <laughs> um, What's the Polish version of a blitzkrieg? I don't know that the Polish would particularly fondly like having actually having you extend the idea of a blitzkrieg to them because in World War Two they were invaded by Germany. Um, I don't know much about history, but I know that. <laughs> Um, anyway, Count Magula. That's a joke because I think Dracula's from Transylvania and that's Hungary, um, where my grandma's from. Anyway, um, what makes a successful powerlifting coach um, and how can it be measured? Uh, Alex. I guess success as a powerlifting coach means that your lifters are improving and they're enjoying their training and they're staying with you. I guess that's, that's one way of putting it is how long do you keep a client and how much better do they get in that period of time um a lot of people i've heard will the first question they will ask is who's the best lifter that you coach and i don't think that's necessarily the best case for um whether a coach is successful or not because i think a lot of elite athletes are elite athletes in spite of what they do in training not all not all the time but a lot of the time i think that's the case um like i don't think um Mike Tyson was the best boxer of his time because of who coached him. I think that he would have been the best boxer of his time regardless of who coached him. Um, so I don't think necessarily that it's about who you've coached, but it's more about um, how much better the people that you have coached have gotten in the time that you've coached them. Yeah, I more or less agree with that. And the other thing is if you go to a powerlifting competition and you watch lifters who are coached by certain people when you watch how many lifts they make, for instance, on the platform, that's a good indicator of whether someone is good because they are sort of taking the right attempts and their lifters aren't making mistakes and all that kind of stuff. And those are the things that are instilled in a lifter from a coach. Yeah, I think a successful coach would be somebody who gets lifters, has them consistently getting better, has them enjoy training, not get hurt, and develop good habits, like both both good habits in training and stuff and also in just how they carry themselves in competition and things like that. Um of course, you could also say a successful coach is somebody like Boris Shaco, who's had a, like you know a huge number of champions and stuff that have come through his tutelage. But you know, somebody like Boris also exists within a system like a sort of nationalized training system of athletes, where he gets sent the elite people to train them to have elite results as well. So, so some measure, so some measure of sort of the the amount of development you see on an athlete by athlete basis, as well as where you're performing at the top level or at the level at which you're coaching people. Um, would be it but yeah um i think more or less what alex said um well why don't we answer the max next question quick break and then we can finish these last three yeah cool all right so 
Max also says, from the competitions you've competed in, which one do you value the highest, Alex? I had to think about this, actually. And the one that I valued the most was probably my first one. Because it was like my introduction to powerlifting. I made heaps of mistakes. I learned a lot and I had a lot of fun. And after I did it, it was like, okay, I'm going to do this for a long time. So from a value standpoint, that's probably the highest for me. Um, Which one am I the most proud of? Probably the most recent one because it was my biggest total on the platform. Um, For me, which do I value the most is a really hard question because most of them I have valued quite highly. Surely the one after the hamstring tear. Well, that was the one that I think probably um, probably makes me the proudest um, in different ways. The one that... Um, which do I value the most? I don't know. Probably I've only probably had like one competition where I felt like I didn't really leave anything on the table for my abilities on that day. I've pretty much every other one I've done. Like I've never gone nine for nine, so I guess that's an issue. But every um, I've I had an eight for nine comp at the Strength Fortress at the end of last year, where although I don't think I was the strongest that I'd been in my entire training cycle that day, on that day I think I don't think I could have lifted more than maybe two kilos more, like total. So I consider that a really good performance and I had a really good time with my friends. So in some ways, I'm very proud of that performance and that's probably one I value very highly. But the one that I'm most proud of is probably the first competition I did after my hamstring tear because it was um, 362... No, 367 days. Um, (laughs) But who's counting? Um, To the day from my hamstring surgery. Um and so it had been a very very long time between me being able to get on the platform and then and I managed to hit a PB total I believe at the time and one best lifter and all those things and it was just a it was a vindication for a huge amount of effort that I'd gone through to be able to get back onto the platform and compete successfully at that time so that was that meant a lot to me and I remember afterwards having like having a bit of a moment of being like fuck I can't believe I've actually managed to yeah get back and do this again um because yeah it was yeah a fair while between drinks so that one probably cool um one let's silly question yeah, let's do a silly one um, um if you could never do one exercise again for the rest of your life which exercise would it be that's almost silly i could never do lots of exercises i could never ride a unicycle okay. through a lava field okay what about if you could not do one close variant of one of the power lifts you didn't have to do it for the rest of your life what would it be um, you had to do all the others um i don't know which you answer first while i think because i don't know front squats see i don't mind front squats i mean like they're heinous when they're hard but they're kind of fun as well you'd say sumo yeah sumo probably sumo i'm really bad at sumo i don't really enjoy doing it and i tore my hammy doing it so sumo Thanks for answering that for me. <laughs> yeah, now that you've said that, it seems obvious. Yeah, exactly. All right, quick break. All right, last couple of questions. By the way, it's Weekly Waits, and also, by the way, I'm Will. Um, I'm Alex, by the way. Thanks. All right, so how would you guys make powerlifting more mainstream? 
what would competitions look like? What would the rules be, etc.? Imagine you had unlimited resources, says Brandon. This is a good question. Yeah, well, I mean, with unlimited resources, I would subjugate the entirety of humanity and make everybody sit together at the same time, wide awake, to watch world championships, which would only be deadlift only, one attempt. What? <laughs> and old school gladiator style, then let wild animals out on the platform while you were lifting. That's with unlimited resources. But presuming he means like reasonable limitations <laughs> on resources. I thought you say gladius, gladiator style, you'd like have like lifter A in one corner and lifter B in the other corner and they have to race to the bar yeah, and like, like fight to the whoever death. Whoever gets there first gets to deadlift. That'd be honestly much, much better watching. Um, And I like powerlifting. I just think that'd be awesome. Um, I think the first thing to do would be get the TV networks on board. Yeah, so yeah, 100%. You'd, you'd have to have like a, a sick contract with Fox Sports or ESPN or... We need like a Kerry Packer in powerlifting. Yeah, we need someone with like $5 billion. Reckon Rupert Murdoch listens to our podcast? Probably. 100%. Shout out Rupert. Shout out Rupert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, see if he wants to get on board. Um, yeah, so you'd have to have a big TV contract so that you could get people to watch because it's pretty hard to watch powerlifting um, unless you have a like close... Unless you like know when the comps are on and you're going to watch them live. Um, the next thing they'd have to do would be to like fill in a lot of the breaks with like um, pre- cheerleading pre-recorded stuff. Like not instead of watching fucking spotters and loaders load the bar. Yeah. Um, whether that maybe they could go out the back and watch the lifter walk out and follow them out and stuff like that. But even there, there's still going to be heaps of dead time. I so reckon you'd have to like interview all the lifters. I was going to say interview like lifters. It's a bit like, you know, when footy teams are leaving the field and they always stop a stop a guy leaving and he says, like, credit to the boys while he's trying oh, to yeah, get his... Oh, yeah, fucking stuff out there, eh, boys? Yeah, yeah, give it 110% credit. Um, Yeah, got a front up for each other. That, I reckon if I reckon if you had people saying that between lifts, that'd be good. Yeah, so, uh, Will Birkin, what went wrong on that second squat? Oh, I just didn't hit depth. Yeah, like usual. <laughs> now i got to start doing it in training. <laughs> credit to the boys for saving me. <laughs> That's the spotters. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, uh, what would the rules be, Will? Do you want, I, me, to say, do you want me to say what I, would, what I would do? Yeah. Okay, so it'd be the same three lifts. It would be um, sleeves for squats, and it would be walked out. There'd be the same bar for all three lifts, so essentially the IPF rules. Um, what would I do different to the IPF rules? I like the World Power Thing weight classes more. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, to be honest, I wouldn't change an enormous lot about the sport itself, rules-wise. Um, I do think it just needs more coverage. Ideally, there'd be only one federation globally that was, um, you know, like as in one drug-tested federation, and then you could have one non-drug-tested federation. It'd be awesome, but um, but presuming that we're talking about drug-tested powerlifting. One yeah, one federation. Everybody competes raw under the same stipulations. Um, you know, everybody weighs in under the same stipulations. I don't think I'd allow. I don't think I'd make any great changes to the rules. One thing that I do think would be kind of good fun though would be rising bar style powerlifting competitions, um, where you have. Um, I'm not sure whether I'd give people three attempts or an unlimited amount of attempts until they miss but where the bar just goes up by two and a half kilos on a certain timer and you can just jump in as often as you like to lift it or to like, a limited like high attempts. jump. 
yeah i reckon it'd be sick fun that'd be kind of cool imagine that for the deadlift and then like you know when you got two guys who are neck and neck and it's like a game of chicken of like who's gonna let the bar go up another two and a half kilos before they go you know that'd be cool that kind of change the, that would kind of change the whole sport entirely yeah 100 percent. but like with weightlifting it's a rising bar so you can follow yourself in weightlifting that's one of the rules and so they um uh, i gotta remember this because i haven't watched a whole weightlifting well, this, used, this used to be the rules in powerlifting rising bar yeah yeah i reckon that'd be Ed sick Cone did three deadlifts in four attempts once that's heinous yeah exactly you wouldn't want to see that yeah i would <laughs> like uh, i don't know i think it'd be cool maybe as uh, a novelty sideshow i disagree okay anyway whatever there you go brandon we've spoken about it enough i still reckon wild animals though that's a good touch <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, favorite accessory for each lift to program for clients and to do yourself. Who asked this? Brandon. <sighs> Brandon. No, this was this was Rory actually. Oh, shout out Rory. Rory. Yeah. Or as I think the Scottish spell it, Rarid. We've spoken about that, haven't we? <laughs> no. I went to school with a guy. His name was Rory, but it was spelled R U A R I D G D H, I think, or something like that, which is Rory. That's insane. Insanity. Yeah. yeah Rory. <laughs> um, anyway. So like um, Mike Lowry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that bad boys? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, favorite accessory for each lift. To program for clients and to do yourself. Um, I'm just going to presume favorite as in one that I tend to find has a lot of carryover. Um, not as in the one that I most enjoy. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Favorite. One with the most applications maybe. Yeah, or one well, that you use the most, maybe maybe to program. Um, okay, so for squats, the one, the I'm just going to say like all purposes, not for like technique or anything, but potentially for technique, the two that tend to be really useful are poor squats and pin squats or high bar squats. Any of any of those three. We said one. Yeah, okay. That's well, my favorite is pin squats. Why? Because I like them. There. Not because they're the best. I just like them. Alex? But like to program or to do? Oh, they're a bit annoying to program because lots of people don't have like yeah so that's the question you have to you have to give one pause pause squats one to program one to do oh, i don't like doing them okay yeah pause squats no there. yeah and then one to do pin squats okay alex you um to program tempo squats to do tempo squats why do you pro why do you like to program them just because you're a dickhead i just think they're really useful they are really useful yeah um i'm releasing an article it'll probably be out before this podcast talking about like why they're a really useful one for people who have issues with their descent and stuff just because it gives you a really good sense of when you move during the descent Mm -hmm. so they're really useful for that as well but i don't think they're as good grunt work as like something that's why i went for pins and pauses and stuff because like you can on a secondary day get through lots of work i was tossing up between them and uh, high bars yeah high bars are like awesome grunt work if you just want to squat just to get good at squatting you should probably just do a lot of high bars though. all right bench yeah bench. favorite to program mine would be tempo bench <laughs> it's the cop out i hate and mine to do would be absolutely not tempo bench um god i don't know i like i like board bench when i did it one board bench i'm always bored when i bench <laughs> what about you um that i like to program touch and go bench does that count yeah yeah touch and go bench that i like to do touch and go bench also um i really like touch and go bench i actually um i think i like um 
I actually like doing long pause benches and I like doing incline benches and I like doing spotter benches as well because they give me a really sort of good sense. Well, incline bench I just like doing because sick up a chest pump. But the other two I like doing because they actually give me a nice good sense of what my positioning is like. Um, but yeah, touch and go bench I think is one I really like. And similar similar reasons to high bars. Like it's just, it's grunt work that's really, really easily transferable. Feels good to do. When you bench well, it feels good. When you bench badly, you know about it. So yeah, that. So you know about it more than it feels good then, Will? Yeah, most of the time I'm, I'm just knowing about it, you know. Spending a whole lot of time knowing a whole lot of stuff about bench. Um, um, what about deadlifts? My favorite would be to do uh, to do would be RDLs. To program would be pause deadlifts. Um, do do probably low blocks. You just said do 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 low blocks and to program probably also low blocks um just because i think they're very good for learning positioning and you really feel your hammies work i think this when he said accessories you reckon he meant just like muscle building not like secondary variation type of thing well i don't know he didn't word it so all right um well i mean if let's just go like a really left field accessory like as in it's not called a squat therefore you know it's like really an accessory lift four squats hmm for squats yeah for squats um I like pendulums at the moment, but I guess that's a pendulum squat. Yeah, Probably I'll call it. No, I'll accept pendulum. Yeah, pendulum. Pen- that's a machine. Pendulums. Um, I like lunges. Bench. Dumbbell bench. Yeah, same. Yeah, and deadlifts. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, Alex doesn't Maybe have the like volume. Glute hand raises. I was going to say Alex doesn't have the volume tolerance to do anything except deadlifts for deadlifting. I like glute hand raises actually. Yeah. And back extensions. Um. And hamstring curls. Yeah, back extensions where you're holding weight in front of you. Um, awesome. Glute ham raises with a band pulling you downwards, not helping you. Awesome. JP. JP. <laughs> I can't believe my world record deadlifter client needed band assistance to do a glute ham raise. That's horrific, JP. Yeah, um, and also like all variants of Nordics and stuff just because they're really good for training your hamstrings at length, even though they're more like knee flexion, I guess. Um, yeah. But any, anything very hamstringy. Okay, what's good gym etiquette for somebody who is new to a powerlifting gym? Who said that? Uh, that was a guy at the gym. I don't know his name. And he doesn't listen. I don't know his name. Oh, well, if he doesn't listen and don't know his name, then do you want to just not answer his question? Uh, it's a good question. Okay. Um, clean your bars. Put your weights away. Don't walk in front of other people while they're lifting. Don't walk in front of someone who's filming. Um, Say hi and bye when you're leaving. Yeah, be polite. Um, help people if they help you volunteer smell. in comps don't smell put deodorant on yeah um, also don't smell what else that's pretty much it um, I mean it's easier to think of like like most people reasonably know what bad etiquette is oh the thing that shits me is when people pull the safeties off on the bench and don't put the little black screw thing back on and they just leave them fucking lying around in the gym. That annoys me. And when people pull the top half of the safety off and just leave the base, like, attached to the, the rack. The base attached to the rack's funny. I wouldn't call that bad etiquette. That annoys just... me. I mean, it's probably just ignorance, but... Yeah, I was going to say, that's more ignorance. No, to be honest, I think, provided you don't do anything that, like, disrespects other people's training, and provided that you put your equipment away and keep things tidy and are just friendly, I don't think there's any enormous, like faux pas that you can commit is there like it's not that complicated 
just be polite and say hi to people and put your shit away when you're done with it. And if you have some pride in the gym, so this is something, again, I wrote in an article ages ago, is like, if you have some pride in the gym that you work in and you treat the people around you with respect, then not only will they treat you with respect back, but I, I really do think that that sort of like subconsciously molds the way in which you approach your training. And so, if, yeah, if you treat the whole process with respect and the people around you, you're probably going to treat your own training with respect and come to enjoy it more. If you treat everybody like trash and you treat the equipment around you like trash, you probably won't. Thoughts, Alex? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. All right, um, one final break. God, I'm going to play some guitar this week. Bleeding Fingers, Berkey, back in action. Oh. <laughs> we'll finish the quick fire questions. They're really dumb. Guys, if you don't want to listen anymore after this, that's fine. Will's got heaps of free time because he's quit Tinder. <laughs> it's true I quit Tinder I ran out Thousand kilometer radius No matches Crazy But he's still on Bumble So all the ladies <laughs> out there Definitely not on Bumble Burke is on Bumble no, I'm not on Bumble Wait till the 5G network When I can talk to aliens on Bumble <laughs> Alrighty We're done One moment Alrighty, we're back on weekly weights. Um, you sound so excited about it. Oh, mate, I'm always excited. Um, question one. Oh, this isn't that stupid. One thing we like and dislike about each other. Um, you remember when we tried to play the compliments game on the way to Uzbekistan? Yeah, so the compliments game, for people who don't know it, is exactly that. Um, you go around in a circle of people and you take turns to give compliments. So say say there was Alex, myself, and Chrissy in a circle. I might compliment Chrissy, who then compliments Alex, who compliments me. And then you alternate and give compliments to other people. So everybody gets a chance to give each other a compliment. And Alex struggled. He really struggled hard to give compliments to three of his closest friends. And he found it really difficult on the way to Uzbekistan. Um, so he's going to love this. On the count of three, Alex, do you want to tell me something you like about me? <laughs> I, need, I actually need a little bit of time to think because there's not a lot I like about you. <laughs> All right. Well, while Alex is Alex is looking for the most like empty compliment possible, <laughs> you're I really like good your... looking when you're looking good at looking. <laughs> I like your hair when your hair looks good. Um, Okay, you want to think about one? You're not even yeah, thinking you about first. a compliment for me. You're literally on the calculator. What are you doing? Adding up how many compliments you're going to give me? Yeah, I've got zero. <laughs> zero plus zero equals zero. Um, you, you go first. Yeah, I love how thoughtful and kind you are to all your friends when you're giving them compliments, dickhead. Um, it's not the sarcastic compliment game, Will. No, I know. I'm trying to think of a sincere compliment for you. Man, this person's really skewed us good. <laughs> um Okay, no, Alex, you're very good at explaining um, explaining things to people who don't understand them. And so, for instance, like, I don't know anything about basketball. I've enjoyed watching basketball and stuff with you. And the same is true for cricket and stuff. You're very good at conveying things like that. So I do like that about you is you're like, yeah, you're good at, you're good at conveying your enthusiasm about things to people who are ignorant about them and making them, I guess, like, feel included and understand the things that you're enthusiastic about whereas other people would be inclined to be like oh fuck you don't get basketball pick and rolls are awesome bro you know it's very nice Will yeah oh mate wait till the dislike I'm gonna torture you (laughs) (laughs) alright go on mine's gonna be like a like a 1 out of 10 compliment and like a 1 out of 10 diss and yours is gonna be like 10 on either end (laughs) what you reckon that was a 10 out of 10 compliment (laughs) yeah that was was pretty nice yeah sure okay what do you like about me Um, I like how you um, when you don't know someone very well you're very inclusive with like learning about them 
and you often like come back to those things when you next see them or whatever yeah i try and do that it's like um one because i think it's nice but two i think like i'm really bad with names i'm like admitting this publicly this is fucked i'm really bad with names and so one of the things i try and do when like I meet associate people associate something that they do with their name yeah because like that's one of the ways in which we remember we remember things we have like an associative memory so if you remember hey this is Alex Alex is the guy who taught me what a pick and roll is do you remember that time when we were at yours smashing drinks with the boys and you and Pemery were telling me how a pick and roll works and we were practicing them this is back when you were in Wollstonecraft <laughs> I don't remember this no thing. oh man Too we were years. lit as but we were like doing pick and rolls off each other it's hilarious <laughs> um, but like <laughs> But that's the thing, like I remember that stuff because I remember a story associated with people much better. So when I meet somebody and I'm like, shit, I've got to remember this, this is Alex Allen. I think, well, you know, this is Alex Allen who comes into the gym and does extra biceps. Now I know he's allowed to, I'm going to remember that too. But you know, that's like when I meet somebody new, I ask those things about them and I try and remember the story about them because the story will help me remember who they are as well, you know? Mm-hmm. And particularly when you work in a gym, like you're one of the few stable people in that place to people all the time. They always remember you, you know? Well, they always remember me. All oh, right, what do you? What do we dislike about each other? You go first. I got to think as well. Oh, I'm so flattered that you have to think. Um, thing I just dis- everything about you, Will, is just neutral to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm apathetic about you. Um, just nothing. You. Oh man, no, this is so easy for me. I don't like that you're late with stuff. You, and oh no. Oh, we are recording still. Uh, I thought it was going to cut out with the I don't like when. Imagine that, the ultimate weekly weights teaser. No, um, no, Alex is late at stuff regularly. And because, like I said, he just likes to take things nice and slow, doesn't bother him. Whereas I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum. I very much like saying I'm going to be at X place at X time and I'm there five minutes early. And like when it's time to leave, I like to leave. So that just grinds my gears because that's just like engineered to annoy me. I guess like from the same vein, I dislike how inflexible you are with your schedule yeah but i'm very and flexible I disli- physically i dislike <laughs> <laughs> and i dislike that if i text you at 8 45 you're fucking asleep yeah, that's what you think that sucks <laughs> yeah true all right there you go that was probably the most candid five minutes of weekly weights you're ever going to get what clothing brand do you want to release a powerlifting line including equipment and apparel Surely Nike. Well, I was going to say powerlifting is getting so cosmopolitan now. Like when I started powerlifting, if you had a full set of teeth, that was different. So, um, your, mom make, your mom makes that joke all the time. So you just stole your mum's joke. How do you feel about that, Will? Mum's funny as hell. She's the best. Nags like crazy you as well. Have, like at least credited her with the joke. Yeah, true. Shout out mum for your one good joke ever. <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm thinking probably Lululemon. Hey, I love Lululemon. Wearing Lulu right now. Shout out Lululemon. Lululemon shirts and track pants are terrible the yeah, shorts but, are like yeah but if okay. they got committed to powerlifting they'd have like the flexiest sexiest suits of all time what do you think how would that be any better than like Nike added us they'd be more expensive Lulu would be more expensive yeah 100% so why would it be better I don't know but like it's just an aspirational activewear label and we could all go to yoga retreats in Byron Bay and deadlift instead of doing yoga as Lululemon influencers that's my nomination. You don't have to agree with it. You can have your opinion, but mine yeah, is Lululemon. Okay, mine's Nike. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, that says a lot about you. We'll put a po- <laughs> we'll put a poll up on the put a poll up on the gram, and you're going to get like twenty percent votes. Yeah, probably. <laughs> or you can less. Oh man, imagine when they bring out Air Berkmans. <laughs> it's for squatting high. 
jump high, squat higher. Alright, if one business were to sponsor weekly weights, who would you want it to be? Probably something to do with food. Probably yeah, I was thinking like crust like pizza. Like crust pizza, yeah. Yeah, um, crust Probably. pizza. Or Twisted Froyo, they follow me on Instagram. They like my stuff sometimes. I don't know why. Not Twisted Froyo. You don't like Twisted Froyo. It's though. fine. I love it. It's good. But like something more like hearty. Like, yeah, like crust pizza. Crust pizza. A sushi train, just a local sushi train. Imagine if we walked into a local sushi train and they're like, oh, it's the boys from Weekly Weights. Just sit Bring out two freak. massive bento boxes and some <laughs> California rolls. That'd be peaceful. <laughs> That'd be classic. Anyway, Sushi Joy, Northridge Plaza. Let, let us know if you're interested in a commercial relationship. Yeah, we'll put you on our Weekly Weights t-shirts when we get them. You can be on the sleeve. Yeah. Um, no, if any businesses do want to sponsor Weekly Weights, then yeah, let us know. Well, we do have a 20% uh, discount code at squatbenchdeadlift.com. We do have 20%. You know, I got my second order. Did you? Yeah. Oh, so. Can you tell everyone the story? It's funny. So we got, we got our 20% discount code from Brett on the Squat Bench Deadlift website. And I immediately ordered Alex and I matching squat bench deadlift shirts, um, including, and I also got deadlift socks. And so Brett threw in a bunch of goodies for us as well. He put in an extra pair of deadlift socks and some stickers and stuff just to make sure um, that we had like plenty of stuff to go around, um, which was really nice of him. And so this package arrives the day before we went to Melbourne for nationals. And, um, and I just left it on the kitchen table and went to Melbourne. And then I came back. A couple of days later, I thought, hey, I had that package, um, which I thought was the squat bench deadlift stuff. I was like, I had that package and I can't find it. And Alex had given me money for his shirt as well. So I spent like a day looking around in my house for it. I got mum on the case because you know how when you lose stuff, like a mum can just find it always. So I had mum on the case. I was going through my siblings, like siblings rooms. I was looking in the storeroom, just thinking like, where on earth could anybody have put this package? And it was nowhere. And so I went back on and I ordered a whole other set of um, of stuff from Brett. So I paid twice for all this stuff. And finally, package arrived like three or four days after that. And I was like, oh, thank God, at least that arrived. And I gave Alex his shirt. And I'd, if, I'd even written to Brett apologizing for not having posted about it on the internet and stuff. Um, and anyway, then yesterday I got this email saying a package from Squat Binge Deadlift has arrived. And I thought, that's weird because I've already gotten my package twice. And it was the second package. So it turns out that the phantom package I'd lost wasn't Brett's stuff at all. And I just bought the same stuff from him twice. That was pretty silly. Um, but it's all good. We now have two shirts each. Um, <laughs> that was silly. All right. Um, yeah. Anyway, any businesses that want to sponsor us, let us know. Preferably Crust or Sushi Joy though. Um, but we'll take other people. If you could bring one guest on Weekly Weights, who would you want it to be? This is like exactly the who would you want to take to dinner thing, except it's about powerlifting. Maybe Louis Simmons. Louis Simmons would be good for a chat. Um, I reckon Mike Isretail would be a really fun guest as well. We can actually get him on. Um, Jacob was going to introduce us. I reckon he'd be really funny because like he'd appreciate our stupid. I think humor. we can actually get. I think we could actually get him on though. But there's no way we get Louis on. Nah, probably. Oh, we could write to Louis and say, "Hey, Louis, Alex bashed on West West Side really ruthlessly one time. Come and show him who's the boss." Did I though? Yeah, you kind of did. Did I say anything that wasn't logical? No. I don't want to comment in case we get Louis on. I want to be on his <laughs> side. <laughs> All right. Um, and, oh, we've answered the rest, haven't we? Oh, who are the... Th- oh, that was the other one. Yeah. Who are the three most notorious powerlifters? This is from Brandon as well. Um, uh, Louis Simmons, that definitely. 
Yeah, Louis Simmons. Notorious, like notorious bad or notorious just like... Just like known for the wrong reasons or known... Well, I don't know if Louis is known for the wrong reasons. I mean, he's, he's done heaps of good known, stuff for the sport. He's not known for the wrong reasons, but like he's not necessarily liked. Oh, I wouldn't even say he's disliked. His... Most people who know him personally seem to think Louis is a great guy. But um, he's, like, he's, like, he's just a polarizing figure in terms of training theory. Yeah, he's, but his stance on drugs and everything and his honesty about drugs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but even then, I mean... polarizing. Yeah, but I mean, I again, most people, there are very few people who are like extremely anti-drug when you are open about drug usage and openly not competing in drug-tested powerlifting. Like, you're just saying, hey, we like drugs, that's sweet. Most people aren't enormously upset by that, are they? People are upset by drug cheats, not drug users, for the most part, I think, anyway. I agree to this. To a point, but there are a lot of people who... I'll tell you who's a polarizing powerlifter. Not polarizing, who's Robert, a notorious powerlifter. Rob Wilkes. Rob Wilkes is a polarizing powerlifter. Um, no. Notorious, Dave Hoff. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's, like, no disrespect to the guy, but also a bit of disrespect coming your way. Like, he, you know, he is known for having done some really, really high squats. Um, in competitions and I actually have never seen him get online and abuse people who've said they're high or anything and in a lot of ways it's the fault of the judges who give squats like that um, white lights so it's not really yeah not Dave himself deserves anything he's never done anything nefarious in his conduct but he he would be somebody notorious when people say Dave Hoff 1200 pound squat or whatever most people who've seen the videos roll their eyes so that's that's one but I don't really I don't know is there anybody else who's Who's actually notorious? Um, it's not like Larry Wills. Why is Larry Wills notorious? I don't know. A lot of people think he's stupid. I don't think he's stupid. I mean, yeah. I don't know anything about him. He's just super jacked, and he deadlifted so hard he bled once. Like not bled from his hands. That's normal. I'm talking like his chest literally had blood seep through it from his own like, blood I pressure. Like a lot of people think that his training is stupid, and like it's not. Um, really relevant to most people and everything is not relatable yeah but i guess larry wheels his situation is not relatable either the guy's like the ultimate in genetic freak 100%. and like i, I presume playing. using all sorts of drugs i wish that, he was playing in the nfl oh man like yeah i wish he was my big brother so we could hang out together and lift lots of weight just him lots more than me you know um so yeah i don't i don't have a problem with Anyway, this is really wishy-washy. I I don't have a problem with anybody. No, neither. Weekly Wades, good vibes here, hey. You know who's actually who actually is um, notorious is Ed Cohen. Yeah, he is. I mean, he has a degree of notoriety, but it, like nobody says Ed Cohen without just having the epithet of the goat. Like, so he's. I mean, yeah, but I guess when people, a lot of people don't even know that he's lifetime banned from IPF. Like a lot of people don't even know that, and when I've said that to people, they've been like, oh. Yeah, it was funny. Fuck, he was, fuck that guy kind of a little bit sometimes. He was very unapologetic about it when he was talking to Mark Bell. I remember that. It was really interesting. He um, he was kind of like, yeah, everybody was using drugs in those days. And like, it was kind of shit that I got caught and like, you know, whatever. But like, yeah, whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. That was pretty unapologetic. I thought, I, I thought he'd be a bit like, a, you know, yeah, I'm ashamed of having cheated and got caught. But he, he wasn't really. But I mean, again, he seems to be somebody that for the most part, everybody who's had anything to do with him thinks he's all right. He does a lot of giving back to the sport. He's he does, he does, revered yeah. for his own lifting. So it's hard to say he's notorious, you know? Like, yeah. Um, anyway, this is a very hard question, whoever submitted it. Brandon. Um, typical Brandon, honestly. Um, I can't wait till he just permanently trains at his home gym. 
doesn't hassle me. Every Thursday I come in, he just sits me down at lift and starts interrogating me about what it's like to be me. He, I say, Brandon, you honestly don't want to know, mate. He gives the funniest um, either ors. Yeah, he does give good either ors. So good, actually. One of them, one of them I wrote down actually. Hang All on. right, okay. We'll we'll finish with this stupid either or for the boys. Hang on. So it was you can either. Oh no, he had one for me, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Oh no, there's there is another one about you though. Okay, but I can that one's like five seconds. Okay, what's this one? Where is it? Oh, we didn't even put that one down. Top three Robert Wilkes quotes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tell about this is the top. Okay, number one, the answers are chest, chest, empathetic. But <laughs> the actual top Robert Wilkes quote of all time, Jules Nanetti. Junior Worlds 2016. Let me tell the story. Yeah, 2016? Yeah, so Jules is... Who was uh, episode three? Three. Yeah. So if you want to go listen to that, check it out. Yeah. Um, she point. was six for six and in the lead on subtotal at World Championships in 2016 in America. And the girl who was closest to her was from Sweden. Um, and at the time, deadlift, and it still is, is Jules's best lift. So... You know, it was things were looking pretty, really good for Jules, and um, it was looking like she was going to win. Um, so she, she'd had some back troubles um, in the prep, which had made doing her deadlifts a little bit tough, and she had regressed a little bit. Um, so she went up for a, she got her first two deadlifts. Her second one was harder than you would have expected, given what she'd pulled in the past. And um, on her third, I think it was one sixty. She got it like just below the knee and couldn't finish it. And she's come off the platform and that lift would have put her in first place. And then the Swedish girl would have had to um, come out and pull for the win. So because Jules missed that, the Swedish girl was already in the lead and had won Worlds. Um, and so she's come off the platform and she's a little bit upset or very upset um, because she wasn't able to do what she had done you know, previously she wasn't able to deadlift what she had deadlifted previously and she wasn't able to win world championships. Um, and as soon as Jules had come off the platform, Robert Wilkes had came to her and said, oh, you should have kept your chest up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, ruthless. He just didn't care. Yeah, no, he didn't care at all. Poor Julesy. Um, I, another classic Rob Wilkes was when I went to New Zealand for the first time in 2013. I hadn't really met Rob. And so I showed up, I was late and I wasn't staying in the same accommodation as other people. And so I showed up to the meet venue the day before I was going to compete. And, um, and I went and found Rob out the back and I was in, in my Australian uniform and didn't have anything else. And you're meant to have like an ID and stuff. And it was between sessions. And I said to, I said to him, Oh yeah, Hey mate, I'm Will. I don't know what I got to do or, you know, where do I get my pass and stuff? He goes, all right, hey, come with me. And he walks me up to, <laughs> walks me up to some desk. Um, it was like a tech desk. And there was people sitting there and they said, kind of, I think we're a bit sick of him by that stage. And they said, what do you need, Rob? And he goes, look, first thing I'm going to need from you is a positive attitude. And the second thing I'm going to need is Will, his passes. And this, it was just so funny. That was my first interaction with Rob and he was immediately trolling a stranger. And it was phenomenally funny. What about the one, what about what he said um, about Joe Zingini? Oh yeah, Australia's, powerlifting Australia's greatest underachiever. Classic. Shout out Joey. Shout out Joey. We love you. Okay, hang on. I gotta find this either or. <sighs> okay, this so podcast e- episode is really getting long. It was either. Um, oh, fuck, where is it? 
Oh, here we go. So your daily nutrition consists of one pill a day and you'll never feel hungry. Or you can eat as much food as you want and you still hit your nutritional requirements, but you're never full. So in either scenario, your nutritional requirements are met. Mm -hmm. In one scenario, you have a pill. You just take one pill in the morning and you're never full. You're not, sorry, you're never hungry. Right. And in the other scenario, you can eat whatever you like. You'll never go over your macros or under your macros, but you're never, you're always hungry and you're never fully satisfied. I actually think the pill one might be better. And the reason, so this is counterintuitive, but like obviously eating serves important social functions and well-being functions and stuff. But the way you phrase that doesn't preclude you from just continuing to eat anyway for fun with other people and nor did it say, like state explicitly that would make you fat. You can't eat. Oh, you can't eat ever? Your, Your entire nutrition is one pill in the morning. Yeah, but why couldn't you just go eat for fun after and just not feel like eating but you'd still go to sushi with the boys? To our sponsor, the sushi train with the boys. Because that's the, the hypothetical. No, that the hypothetical is poorly phrased. Then in that case, I'd just eat. I'd be the guy that can eat anything. But you'd be always hungry. That's fine. Cool. All right. Well, that wraps up the uh, two and A <laughs> with the boys. <laughs> His other hypothetical. I oh, don't worry about it. Um, oh, the other one was um, who squats higher, Will Berkman or Larry Wills? Oh, mate, me. Definitely. <laughs> Larry's got nothing on how high I can squat. No, he had another one that was about my dog. He said... Oh, right. Um, the what? The You have to was, give up. I, I either, either Digby dies, that's my dog, or I can't make another dad joke. And it'd be just like the ending of Old Yeller. <laughs> the dog dies, but it's a work of fiction. It doesn't, Marley, it's Marley not true. Marley me. <laughs> sequel, the sequel me. Is called me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's yeah. the end of Weekly Waits. Fuck, that was long. Shout um, out to Arj Barker for that joke. Shout out to Jules Nanetti for hating episodes that are long. You're going to hate this one too. La 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 la. Let's make it even longer. 